This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. There are different theories as to how history unfolds in the world. There are some who argue that history is linear. That is, it occurs in one successive timeline, and we should be careful not to impose one lesson from history upon another historical incident. There's some merit to that approach, but another perspective is that in many respects, history is cyclical the same patterns emerge. From this perspective, we learn the adage, he who does not learn from history is doomed to repeat it. Whatever your opinion about the theories of history, the book of Judges is unquestionably a book filled with a definite pattern, a pattern that we'll learn today in Judges chapter 2. Now before we dive in, if you're reading alongside us in the one-story reading plan, and you haven't watched the video for the book of Judges inside of the reading plan, let me encourage you to do that. I'll put a link in the show notes for today's episode for that video, but it's a very helpful overview that might give you some perspective on the book that we may not be able to cover today. On today's podcast, though, we're going to look at that pattern that is there in the book of Judges and consider its ramifications in our lives today. Look with me, if you would please, in verses 8 through 13 of Judges chapter 2. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory in his inheritance, in Timnath-Hedis, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors, After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreths. Judges 2 records for us the tragic consequence of not listening to the Lord's instruction. The book of Joshua ended much the same as Deuteronomy had ended, a revered leader of Israel pleading with them to remain faithful to the covenant of their God. Judges 2 begins with the clear understanding that God had kept his covenant promises to this people rescuing them from slavery, delivering them from their captors, providing for them in the desert, enduring their incessant complaints and criticism, fighting their battles for them, leading them into the conquest of this good land that he had promised to give their ancestors way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. God had indeed been faithful, and we've looked at this faithfulness at length. Because of God's goodness and his fidelity to these people, The leaders of the past two generations have pleaded with the people to follow the Lord and keep his commands and precepts. 
Their success had been predicated on this obedience. As long as they followed the Lord's instructions, God would go before them and fight for them. See the crossing of the Jordan and Jericho. But when they chose to disobey him, it always led to trouble, quite literally. Just remember the tragedy in the Valley of Achor, which means trouble, with Achan and the tragic defeat at the hands of the men of Ai. One would think that this would be enough for these people to realize how vital it was to their success to follow the Lord's commands. Nonetheless, if we've learned anything about the people of God, it's how incessantly stubborn they are. God has clearly warned them to remove any vestige of the people from within them. They were to ultimately drive them out of the land. We learned this was because their hearts would be so easily diverted from worshiping the one true God who had delivered them to worshiping the gods of the nations that their God was to drive out. Just think of the lunacy of that statement. Your God is driving these nations out and giving you victory, success, houses you didn't build, harvest you didn't plant, all that you could want and more. But rather than actually obey the commands of your God to drive the people out of this land, you instead choose to serve the gods that can't deliver the very people that you're driving out of that land from the God that you claim to serve. How foolish their idolatry appears under such scrutiny. Nonetheless, despite the repeated pleas of not one but two generations of leaders, these stubborn people will collapse and decline into utter ruin because of their foolish idolatry. Moses and Joshua both uniquely warned them to not only obey the Lord, but to teach their children to do the same. Deuteronomy 6, Joshua 1, Joshua 4, they all underscore the importance of repeating this law in the presence of the next generation so that they might learn the value and importance of obeying the Lord. We learn in verse 10 of this generation's failure to do that. Israel may have been preoccupied with conquest, but whatever the reason, this generation failed to communicate the necessity of, e of obedience to the next generation. The text even tells us that a generation arose who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done in Israel. I mean, how tragic is this? Can you imagine not knowing all that God has done for this people? How long does it take for a nation to drift from following the Lord? Well, apparently it can happen in one generation. If the kids don't know the Lord or his works, the nation will inevitably collapse. Primarily, since God explicitly outlines that this, that it is obedience to his commands that brings about their success. If they don't know him, they certainly won't know his commands, which means they certainly won't obey them, which means they certainly won't find success. The rest of the chapter gives us a snapshot of Israel's history for the foreseeable future. And it is here that we see the pattern emerging. It's a spiral of disobedience that will eventually lead to a civil war. Israel will sin through idolatry and reject the Lord and his commands. They will be punished for such idolatry, often through local captivity to neighboring regions. In the midst of that captivity, they will turn to the Lord in repentance. And 
In doing so, God will raise up a judge to lead them from that captivity, and they will live in peace. Their prosperity will then lead them again to idolatry, and the vicious cycle begins again. Over and over and over, in many ways, this is a microcosm of their own history, because they did not heed the Lord's instruction. They were just repeating the past. This pattern of sin, judgment, captivity, repentance, deliverance, prosperity, and decline was a snapshot of their history since Egypt. They continued the generational cycle of disobedience and idolatry with every successive generation, beginning with the golden calf at Sinai. In their abundance, these people neither followed the Lord, nor did they instruct their children to do so. This further promoted the cyclical decline of a nation. This whole book should warn us against the danger of such a trap in our own lives. We have seen God deliver, provide, lead, direct, and give us victory. The risk that comes with that abundance is that we too would forget the Lord, forget His goodness and His faithfulness, and our responsibility to walk in obedience. We too will fail to pass these stories of God's faithfulness on to our own children, and in doing so, we run the risk of paving the way for their own decline as well. Abundance has made us lazy, and I fear that this is the case in America's church. We have so drifted from God's instruction that we have instead crafted the church to our own desires. This has become the calling card of our churches, and we now focus on the things that we want or that other people want, rather than focus our hearts on obeying the Lord's commands and doing the same. We ignore the last words of our Savior, which command us to become disciples who make disciples. This discipleship has at its heart a desire to obey God's word, to become like him. This is the essence of being a disciple. The importance then of making disciples is doing precisely what Jesus commanded, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. We have not been given the authority and the power of God in our midst to consume upon ourselves our own lust for kingdoms and to promote our own kingdom vision. This kingdom that God inspired should command our obedience and insist upon teaching others to follow him, most especially our children. If we do not do this, we too will meet the same demise that the people of Israel did through the book of Judges. If we don't do this, we just live in the same cycle of disobedience and judgment. Thankfully, amid the dark picture of our own existence, we are pointed to the need of a true king to come. The book's last two chapters repeat a phrase four different times. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The truth is, eventually, there would be one who would come, to sit on the throne of his father David, who would rule with justice and equity, who would call us to meaningful repentance and devoted obedience to his commands. This is the work of the new kingdom that was to come. Jeremiah said that he would put in our hearts the desire to obey. May that desire manifest itself in our own lives today. 
May we break the generational pattern of sinful idolatry that is centuries old by choosing to follow our God's command and pouring into our kids the need to do the same. For when we do, God brings success. He always has, and he always will. So, Father, help us today to walk in obedience to your commands, whatever they may be. Make our path of obedience clear and allow us to walk in it. As the end of the chapter indicates, when you test us, help us to keep the Lord's way by walking in it. And as we do, may we teach it to others also. May the calling card of our discipleship be devoted obedience, and may you be honored by our lives. May we root out the vestiges of idolatry in our own lives and spend our days following you and teaching others to do the same. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.